How's everybody doing this evening? Hope everybody had a great day today. We are in for a treat this evening. I, I always kind of stall around here to let the folks come into the, yes. into the room with us, Dave. Oh my gosh, we've got Dave Brent, the godfather of regenerative ag, and I am sitting in, in his son's house. So Dave and I are a little better internet connection here at Jay's house. So um, that's where we're at this evening. Dave and I uh, talked today at the Ohio No-Till Council Field Day yep. Yep. in Bucyrus. They had a good turnout mm -hmm. there. Um, it was Everything was great. So um, as usual, we're going to get started here. So uh, I'll get this started like I always do. Giddy up. Let's go. Dave, how are you doing? Really good. And, you know, it's a great, it's uh, my pleasure to have Rick here to, to visit with. I, I told him this was probably the most expensive podcast he's going to do <laughs> because he drove two hours and a half to, so that we could do this. Yeah. Uh, you know, but we've had fun all the time we've been here. And uh, yeah, it's been a great uh, learning curve for me to work with someone that has such good expertise and knowledge of how to get things accomplished. And I appreciate that. I'll tell you when, you know, when you come here, Dave, I mean, everyone knows Dave, everybody knows you in the farm. I mean, seriously, anybody yeah. who's in this, in this space knows of you and your farm. But yes. when you get here and you took me on a tour, you know, a one-on-one -on -one tour of your farm. Oh, wow. I mean, to, to go out with your grandson, yes. we dug in the ground. Mm -hmm. The soil is just beautiful, lush, crumbles. The aggregate stability you have here right. is probably eight, nine inches deep. deep. Yep. Biggest problem is when Rick came to look and we went to the cornfield where we had 36,000 pounds of biomass that we planted into, there's nothing there. It's gone. And he says, what are you doing? We got to get more cover. <laughs> you know, so I guess we're going to have to quit. Uh, you're gonna to have to put the brakes on yes, and slow your 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 dynamo down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, he's trying to teach me to lower. We've already lowered our chemicals and fertilizer. I thought enough, but I think we got to just keep cutting yeah. as much out as we can, yeah. and still learn how to do it. And I think uh, uh, that is a a real challenge for everyone at this yeah. point in time, Rick. You know. Yeah, I get, you know, Dave, we're, we're, we're very extreme now. Uh, we're, we're organic, we're no-till, we're all those things. We've taken everything away. And I get, I've been asked twice now in my last two presentations around the country here, I've been asked twice, do, do they asked me, Rick, do you think the way you farm can feed the world? I don't think I, it can, because we have gone so far now, and this is not a perfected system, right. but... Dave, for what we were just talking about, this can feed the world. 50% yes. reduction in chemistry and inputs. Right. I think we can go 75%. I agree. And we will, you know, we're there. I'd like to get that other 25 rid of if I can. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have to increase your management skills to do it. And uh, that's why I'm trying to teach my grandson how to do it. And uh, hopefully he can take it farther than I've ever taken it, Rick. Yeah. You and, know, and and don't you know you're that generation is is mm -hmm. hungry and eager yes. so yeah they'll be all about okay. doing that right oh yeah yeah um well dave i'd like to start out we've already kind of gotten into it but i'd like to ask you what what's on dave's mind right now what are you thinking about what have you been thinking about well, i've been thinking about how i can 
better present what we're trying to do in regenerative ag to uh, larger farmers, uh, how to in, to talk to them, not to say they're doing anything wrong, right? but to encourage them to try something different that may return a little more money to their uh, return on investment at the end of the year. Yeah. And I really, I'm struggling with knowing what to say and how to say it to uh, these larger producers. Yeah. It, and and you, you touched on something very important there. We cannot offend the way they're currently doing it because they're doing it the way their dad did it, their dad's dad did it. it this is a multi-generational thing. And it's not wrong. It's really it's, not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's, when I look at it and, you know, when I started 55 years ago, uh, it was not about uh, uh, reducing inputs. It was about uh, saving time, Yeah. you know. And then eventually, you know, we learned that, or I've learned that we do things that will help us reduce what we do to uh, make it important. And, you know, if I could structure anything around land grant universities, it would be great to talk to those people to get them to understand how important it is to become, uh, I shouldn't say more modern. I think they're yeah. modern. They're just uh, slow to change. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think what, you know, I think what's important here is that we we need to show this farmer how it can save them money, but not affect their yield. Because so many farmers are, are I mean, everybody's backed into a corner right now. The input prices are sky high. Uh, the markets have rallied, but they've pulled back a lot. Uh, guys are scared now. They don't know what to sell because they don't know what they're going to have out in the field yeah. based on the weather. Right, right. So we have to make sure that when we have these conversations with these folks, we show them how important collecting data is. Correct. And then we can show them that a 25% reduction of inputs does not mean you're going to sacrifice yield. Right. And, you know, the easiest way to do that is try to try to, to talk to a producer that's thinking about going to no-till and cover crops or start in the regenerative journey, mm -hmm. let's call it, is to try something with small grains like rye or barley or triticale after corn, uh, get it in the ground, uh, let it grow up a little bit in the spring. I'd like to plant green. Uh, a lot of people do, you don't have to. Uh, and, you know, it's a thing where we do this, and for some reason when we do this, something happens in the soil, and I don't know what it is because I'm not a scientist, but when we do rye or a cereal into corn fodder, we see a six, five, six bushel yield increase. In the soybeans. In the soybeans, you know? And if we could connect that with reducing 10 to 15% of what you normally put on, just think what that would mean to their IOR return on investment. Right. Rick, and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to show them. I think you have to start slow. Uh, you know, sometimes I think I go too deep and into everything because we've done it so long and it's been so much fun. And as you learn to do this, I think farming becomes easier. Uh, it's, uh, to me, it's a lot more enticing to try something now than it was 30 or 40 years it's ago. It's enjoyable. It's enjoyable, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. Because now instead of trying to figure out how are you going to make those tillage passes, now you're trying to figure out how do we get those cocktails right for the microbes that you have, the, the cash crops are getting ready to grow, 
how do we get all that balance where it needs to be? Right, and that's why we look at this, you know, I try to explain to everyone, and it doesn't matter whether they're no-tilling or been no-tilling, things that they don't think about, you know, and we didn't think about diesel fuel when it was a buck or two bucks a gallon, but now when it's pushing six dollars or five dollars even, and when you put rye or a cover crop in a field and you pull the planter out there and the fuel consumption may go down one or two gallon per hour in your tractor because everything pulls easier. You go to the fall, you have a residue laying there on that surface. So the friction on the header is a lot less. So our combine uses about three gallon less an hour. And you know, that's not much per acre, but you know, uh, if it's 50 cents or let's just say it's a dollar and I got a hundred acres, I can take my wife or grandkids out for supper. Yeah. Or you paid for your cover crop. Or you pay for the cover crop, right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways there. We've heard all the excuses of why people don't want to try this. And you just came up with a couple of ways to make it that much more enticing. I think so. And, you know, and there's there's a lot of programs out there today that will uh, actually entice you even more if you want to participate, you know, and those are ways to learn how to happen and reduce the uh, the problems of uh, what you think you may lose or whatever, you know, because when you can have assistance for cover crops on uh, through NRCS or whoever, I mean, you know, we even have Cargill's and those kind of people talking about assisting yeah. farmers to learn to use cover so they can also think about carbon credits and those kind of things. I think those are all positive things we're seeing for agriculture. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have to learn to reduce our erosion and increase water infiltration. Right. And, you know, there's real simple things to do. And I want to pass this on because I think it's fun and easy. You just buy a six inch PVC coupling out of a hardware store. You drive it in the ground three inches. You use an eight ounce liter bottle of water, pour it in there. If it leaves in three or four minutes, you're starting the regenerative journey. If you stand there for four hours, like we did the other day at uh, Indiana, guys get tired of wondering where that water's going to go if it don't go anywhere, you know. Well, it's trapped inside that ring, ring right? But if it wasn't, it goes everywhere. It's gone. Yes. It's not going down. down. Right. You know, it's like I talked today and I said, you know, I told the crowd, we don't have a, a flood problem. We have a water We're infiltration. Problem. Absolutely right. Yes, sir. Yes. And because of the poor infiltration rates, we have floods. Right. So it, it, it all makes total sense. And, and honestly, Dave, I think that most farmers <clears throat> would agree with everything you just said. But the biggest hang up is who's going to show them how, how to do, do this. That's correct. Right. Because you or I or many other people can walk into a room and we can get everybody charged up. But then we get in our truck and go home. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So the teaching has got to happen locally. Locally, yes. I cannot go to Arkansas and tell folks how to raise uh, rice. I don't know anything about rice. Right. So we need a local person down there. Right. It's right. about context again. Yes. That context yes. word. Yes. And commitment. You know, you got to be committed. It's yeah. just like anything else. You want to do the best job you can do. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have the ability today to get answers. I mean, I, you know, I've farmed for over 60 years and grandson came on two or three years ago and all of a sudden, 
we're learning that uh, there's things in that tractor that I didn't even know it would do, you know, like telling me how many gallon per hour and, you know, how much slippage do I have and, you know, the other uh, a month ago he bought guidance and put on it, you know, I ain't doing it, I, you know, but those are things that make it easier to, to figure out what's going on, you know, yeah. and especially today with yield monitors and combines, to me it makes no difference if it's not calibrated, if it is calibrated, it's better if it is. But, you know, if you're trying to look and see what's going on, you can run a comparison between no rye or rye for soybeans right. or what variety of this did better than that, yeah. you know. And those are things you need to learn to do on your own farm right. to make it more successful. You know, uh, Hazlitt, Hazlitt variety rye may work better in Iowa than Elbon. I don't know. Correct. But if you won't know until you, you try. try it, right, right. And then, you know, we're looking at different ideas. And I think those are the things that we need to think about. Uh, rather than thinking about poundage, I think we still need to think about seed count, just like you think about seed count for yeah. corn and soybeans. Yeah, you know, and I agree. I, I fall victim to that. I just throw together a cocktail based on pounds. Pounds, right. We need to be looking at it on seeds per acre. acre. And I think, I think really Dave Brandt's idea of the right seeding rate, which is Dave Brandt's idea, and it works Dave well on well, David's Dave farm. Brandt, Dave Brandt, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, you know, we look at a million two, a million three to a million four seed count. Of, we, a, of a cocktail. Of a cocktail. So you put 10 species together. Right. And then you figure out what the seed count is, and, you, and then you can blend those together okay. to end up that results, you know. Because if you're planting wheat, it's about a million two. Yeah. You know, uh, so wheat does really well at that thickness. So, and I think cover crops also do. If you're kind of conventional now, if you're moving into no-till with uh, organics, we're going to have to up that seeding rate because we need to make sure, yeah. Rick, that we have enough biomass that lasts till harvest time. That's right. Because today, this is August, middle of August. And if you run out of residue today, I will guarantee that you'll have foxtail and oh, giant ragweed seeds. Eat you up. And it, you're going to have water hemp too, you know. So that's why you need to make sure when you're talking to your seed supplier that you tell them that you're moving towards organic or you are organic, so he can make the right recommendations. Yeah. This is you critical, know? folks. We've got to. You've got to understand who your dealer is and how much knowledge they have about what Dave's talking about. Now, Dave's got a, a seed company. He'd love to work with anybody. Uh, Walnut Creek Seeds. Walnut Creek Seeds. Uh, look them up online. Uh, they've got plenty. I, I went through his cleaning facility. Folks, it's state of the art. So he's got everything here he needs to do to do the job you need done. Right. And, you know, we're... we're we're not trying to sell. I'd like to sell it all to my neighbors in my community. I really don't care. We don't have to sell it in California or New York or anywhere yeah. like that. But if they call, we'll try to help them. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've we've worked with people in uh, the fruit industry. We've worked with people that grow uh, uh, hops. We have a big hops producer in Washington State. And we've come up with some ideas that works well with them. And now we get to share with other people because they were our gophers that tried and made it successful, yeah. you know. Yeah. And uh, there's just lots to say about how wonderful any kind of cover you have on the ground, because just remember, guys and gals, 
that if you don't do anything, God will put one there. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. It might not be what we like. Yeah. But there'll be something there growing. At least you've got a choice at this point. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, I mentioned Arkansas. We got Gregory. Hey, Gregory, how we doing? He's saying hello. Uh, Walter lands on. Walter wants me to go into, uh, you know, Tony Pyrick at uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yes. Tony has done a tremendous job in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is the only state that I know of that does it to this degree. Last I knew, they had 41 farmer-led groups in the right. state of Wisconsin. 41. And these are groups that get together and they're not bickering at each other and they're not competing. You know, they're not backstabbing or doing any of this stuff. They're trying to figure out how to make the group better. Right, right. And Tony has done a tremendous job of doing this. And if anyone here is listening or, or plays this back in the future and you're looking for a model to go after, give Tony a call in Wisconsin. They've done a really nice job. And, you know, out in, in Kansas, we got Jerry Hatfield is doing the same thing. Yeah. He must have uh, 15 or 20 in two different groups or three. And I don't yeah. know for sure, but they meet, uh, they talk it over with each other. They use Jerry as their advisor. You know, How could if, you ask for a better advice? That's right. And, you know, if Jerry don't know, I've talked to him about some things. Yeah. Uh, you know, they farm entirely different there, but sometimes just the spark of an idea makes a difference to some, how make something happen, yeah. you know. Hey, don't forget, guys, we got we got the man here. Take advantage, ask questions, keep them coming. I've got one for Dave right now. Dave, walk us through. Um, well, no, first of all, I want to go back to this, uh, this building your cocktail. Give us three or four right off the top of your head, because people may not understand, and... And we need to talk about seed coating versus non-seed coating. So let's go with clover first. How many seeds per pound, roughly? Well, you know, we, we look at balance of clover, which is a small clover. Uh, it's, it's called fifth glazing balance of clover. There's 800,000 to a million seeds in a pound. 800,000 to a million. So, you know, that if you're looking for a million seeds, you just don't use a pound of balance. Yeah. You know, a quarter of a pound or a half a pound. In a blend. In a blend. Yeah. You know. Uh, okay, so now what about seed treatment versus what happens when you treat the seed? What happens to the seed count? It goes down. Goes down. down. And, and it'll cut it by probably 30%. Okay. So that's what you got to keep that in consideration. Uh, lots of times they're using seed treatment so that you can get inoculation with it. Sometimes they use treatment, seed treatment to improve the germ by 6 or 8 or 10%. Mm. You know? Uh and, you know, it makes the seed bigger, so it will flow easier with treatment on it if you're working with oats or radishes or uh, barley. Uh, and, you know, we this discussion we get into all the time is when you put seven or eight or ten together, they'll segregate. Well, if you, the smaller seeds will actually fill the gap between the ends of the points of the, right. the, the rape and the canola and, and the wheat or whatever you're using that's right. big, you know. And we found if we don't pass 50 acres at a fill-up, segregation is not a problem. So what he's talking about, folks, is you've got this beautiful blend of real small 800,000 seeds per pound, and you've got 13,000 seeds per pound all in the same mix. And it looks beautiful when you put it in, but as you're going across the field and you're bouncing, it's all the small stuff is settling to the bottom. Right. So then at the end of that tank running out, 
your almost pure small seeded stuff. That's what he's talking about. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we go, if we look at winter peas, you know, we're talking about 4,000 seeds per pound mm -hmm. versus 800,000. Yeah. Know? I mean, this it, is where the seed count is very important, uh, I feel, to do the correct job rather than talking about poundage. And you see, this is a refreshing way to look at this because Dave sells cover crop seed, but the way he's describing it, he's not trying to sell you a bunch of seed you don't need that's going to cost much. He's trying to save the farmer money and only give them what he thinks they need for their particular situation. Right. And, you know, I, and I, I personally like to tell you that you need to be concerned if you're doing your own seed that you clean it, get somebody to clean it or clean it yourself just to keep the weed seeds out. Yeah. You know, uh, you can handle a little bit of straw or do stuff like that. But, you know, if you've got mare's tail and you've got uh, bindweed or whatever, that's in that seed, you surely want to clean that out because it grows just as well as the cover crop does yeah. in the field, you oh, know. Yeah. And it's very important if you're trying to get cost share from the government because they have changed the rules. You have to now have it clean and you now have to have a germ test on it. You just can't go out there and throw 60 pound of rye out that's there good. and go get your money. That's good. And I think that's good. Yeah. Yes. That's good. Okay. So let's talk about something else here now. So if you... You know, if you have a cocktail, I've always said you need to plant to the depth of the shallowest seed that you have in that cocktail, which this creates a problem. If you've got clover and peas together, you can't plant clover an inch deep. Or maybe you can. Do I th you? I think we can. The reason why I say that, we've, we've done a lot of studies here on our own farm. We've tried it at a quarter inch. Yes, the clover comes up faster. But guess what? A quarter inch, the top soil, the soil dries out, the pea will sprout, it runs out of moisture, right. and it dies. Yeah. I think the ideal seeding depth for cover crops as a blend is between three quarters and one inch, especially if you're using rye and peas and those kind of things that have big seeds like sunflowers, because as you put that mix in, into that band that you're running, whether it's a seven inch band or a 20 inch band or whatever, the larger seeds will emerge first, which loosens the soil, opens the soil and pulls that seedling that should have been at a quarter or an eighth of an inch That's right out of the ground with it. That's interesting. And we found great success that way. That's good. You know. Now what we've done, that's an, I'm going to try that. What we've done is if we're in that situation, we'll make two passes and plant the piece to the depth we want and then come back and do do the other. But I think we I like your way better. Well, I, I, do, I, I want to do it as cheap and economical as I can. It's one and do pass. it one path. Now, the problem you'll see is you'll see the peas and the larger rye or barley up probably in four to five to six days, and it'll take two weeks for the clover to be there. Okay. You know. That's great. Uh and I see no reason not to do it that way because as long as you have large seeds in there to help it come up three quarters to an inch, it just seems to be the ideal thing that we're working with. Very good. Yeah. Well, we tend to set our drill on about three quarters of an inch uh, now that I think about it, and that's kind of where we plant everything. Yes, right. So, right. yeah. Um, now, what about if you were going to do, a, let's say you were just going to do a vetch and a clover, just those two by themselves. Then what, what's your what's your strategy there? Quarter inch deep. Quarter inch. In other words, 
if you can get it shallow enough uh, and let the press wheel close, you know, yeah. shove it in the ground, that's good enough. Okay. All right. You know, it's but it will a, not work with large seeded stuff now. No, right? no, you know. no, no. Okay. So now, Dave, walk us through, um, you know, take us through a scenario where let's say we're coming out of a bean field this fall and you're going to have corn next spring. Tell us the setup. Well, I think I think the, the timing of this is really important. If it's uh, corn going to or beans going to corn and you're harvesting Thanksgiving Day, you ain't got very much time to get anything accomplished. No. But, you know, if you're running uh, September to about the 15th of October, mm-hmm. then I think you can go out there with winter peas, crimson clover, some hairy vetch, uh, maybe a quarter to half a pound of rape. Uh, and then put some grass or some kind of uh, grass crop with that, whether it's barley or oats or oats, yeah. uh, rye, triticale. Because what we, we don't want to do is put lots of nitrogen fixing plants out in the fall with no grass because we, we really mess up the carbon to nitrogen cycle. Yeah. In the spring, you're going to have about 40 parts a million uh legumes and only one or two parts of carbon and the soil actually gets so hard that if you're running airbags and you got a thousand pounds of pressure on a real unit it won't go in the ground yeah so you always want to balance your cover crop mixes with grasses and legumes and throw in a brassica or two to help give you those deep roots that help fumigate the soil as you do your cover crop you know, we found that radishes, uh, uh, canola, they're all things that tend to fumigate and help release the problem that we have with soybean cyst nematode and other nematodes that are destructive. Right, right. You know. Yeah, I, I fall into this trap also, Dave, because we have got to get across so many acres. acres. We get late in the fall and it's all cereal rye and we're 80 to one. You know, next spring, that's too, that I, I'm seeing it. We've got to get these cocktails to be in that that twenty to forty to one, one range. Yes, sir. Yes, and, I agree. And that is a, is part of your diversity here. We've got to figure out. But we also understand that when you get to November, you have no other choice. Right, and that November you will have to keep up on the seeding rates, just because less and less seeds going to grow. Uh, you're going to have more problems with birds eating the seeds. Uh, you know, our policy is that if we get past the 20th of November, we'll up by 20 percent. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, we, we started last fall at 130 and wound up at 150. Yeah. Right. Which is a little too much. We're going to back that down. But uh, we've got a we've got a question here from Gregory. He's in uh, Arkansas. Uh, I've been using wheat for cover crop, but planning on using a legume and Nebraska with the wheat. This will be planted in late October. Any suggestions on which legume and brassica? This will be going to cotton, northeast Arkansas. Northeast Arkansas. Uh, not too familiar with cotton. I'll tell you that up front. But I know cotton's a nitrogen hull, just like corn is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that case, I would probably be looking at uh, either a, uh, a winter pea uh, that would uh, 
grow about three or four inches tall by the time well you're you're in arkansas so it's going to be warm you're not going to have freezing uh so it'll grow really well mm -hmm. get fairly big before spring uh you can roll the winter pea to control it um i would probably look at a reddish because the reddish is going to give you deeper roots it's going to break up that compacted layer you've got from doing the cotton tillage or doing whatever you're doing to get it in the ground yeah and then of course uh the wheat is also a great thing i think uh to gain a little bit you might want to mix it with some cereal rye i think you'll have a little better choice of what's going on about 50 percent wheat 50 percent cereal rye will give you a four-way diverse product or five-way with the reddish and have an idea how to do a better job to build a deeper root structure to loosen the soil and pull up nutrients below the area you've been yeah. pulling nutrients from. Yeah. I want to ask uh, Gregory a question and please respond back here as soon as you can. Um, how close is cotton planting to anthesis of cereal rye? I think they're about the same time for you. So just yes. reply back real quick because I've got a thought here for you. <laughs> I think they're about the same time. If that's the case, I would up that rate of cereal rye yes. and roll all this flat, flat. and no-till right cotton into right into it. Or plant the cotton and then roll it down. Or plant the cotton and then roll it down. Yes, same time. Same time. See, this would be beautiful. Oh, yes. Take the setup Dave just gave you, maybe move up the cereal rye to 60 pounds, 70 pounds, maybe 30, 40 pounds of, of wheat, yep. and then roll this whole thing down maybe two days after you plant. Yep. Yep. And the reason why I like to roll afterwards, um, unless you're a whole lot better than I am, we never get our planter set just right. Yeah. And when you roll that residue down, we don't have to worry about closing the seed trench as good as we need to. Uh, it covers up a lot of mistakes to get the cotton and corn up. I mean, we do it for corn and we hardly ever have any problems, uh, uh, with our corn. I know Rick was in the field this afternoon and we're at 31,000 and it was every six and a half inches. It was like walking through part of a jungle to get to where we wanted. Oh yeah. The singulation was awesome. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, now I, I think your spacing there too, Gregor is probably what 38 inch. I'm going to guess on your cotton, I think is what you guys do. Now is this on raised beds by chance? So are you like what I would call flood irrigating? Because this is going to be a problem if you're going to be rolling this, if you're on what uh, what folk you guys call raised beds. Yes, and raised beds and irrigated. That's going to be a problem. So the where the rye is, your roller is not going to go down in, in, the valley. in that valley. Right. So we've got to be careful here. So we've just given you a bunch of advice, but Gregory, you need to do this now on a small acreage and see what's going to happen uh, with rolling this down over those ridges. And Gregory, don't be disappointed if the water don't get to the end of the field if you put a cover crop in there. Yeah. Because I did that with some fellows nine or ten years ago when I was in Alabama and give them some recommendations and the next year they called me and said, Mr. Brandt, he says, we can only get the water halfway down our little channels <laughs> because it infiltrates too quickly. <laughs> what do we do? And I said, well, the only thing you could do is take your tractor 
and run in between those valleys and make a little compaction so the water does go farther. Yeah. But, you know, that'll be the problem, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you won't need as much water if you have a cover crop there. All right, we've got uh, Andrew Moore from Central Indiana. Uh, Gregory, I hope that helped, by the way. So uh, I've been planting green and burned down with Roundup after emergence. Okay, all right. Uh, Andy from Central Indiana, I am looking for a nitrogen-fixing cover crop to add to a winter kill cocktail mix that I would like to graze with cattle in November. I have used Balanza in this mix, but it was grazed. Not sure if Balanza could handle the grazing traffic. All right, the, the, the clover that I would recommend for this scenario is from the same company, Grassland Oregon, and it is um, uh, Frosty Bursine. See, yes. And this is a non-bloating clover and it will survive the cold weather and it's got a nice big stem just like the Balanza has. So that would be an idea. And I love what everything you said here because you're trying to graze this off. So so give us a little more info here, Andy. Are you are you getting this cocktail established in like say after a cereal grain or is this your whole plan for the year for this field is to get a cocktail out, graze it off and then pull the cattle out? Is that what you're doing? to then get set up for next spring. See what Andy comes back with. Cause you could go a couple of ways here. Yeah, after wheat, there after you wheat. go. Okay, okay. Yes. okay, there we go. Yeah. Sky's the limit here, I yes, mean, sir. take it over. I mean, uh, this is when you do a warm, warm season, season cocktail. Yeah, you know, I look, I look there in your situation in, in Illinois, was it? Right. Indiana, Indiana. Central Indiana. Indiana. Uh, you know, you're going to take the wheat off the 1st of July. Uh, I would go immediately in there with probably a 8 or a 10-way species. Uh, of course, you want everything to die over the winter, which I don't like very well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, if we use an 8 or 10-way species, 5 or 6 of those species are going to croak uh, when it frosts. The other 4 or 5 will grow in the spring. So you actually could actually have spring pasture and winter pasture, Right. you know. Uh, on that case, and you would look at five, four or five warm season grasses and legumes, then four or five cool season grasses and legumes, and then for aesthetic effect, throw in a sunflower because cattle like sunflowers. Mm -hmm. Turnips. Turnips. You know, maybe take the reddish away and put turnips in. Yeah. Because they'll graze them better. Yeah. And then in the spring, you will have probably crimson clover and hairy vetch coming back uh, with probably some of the rye. And the versine. And the versine, yes. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good combo. And and triticale is a tremendous source of food for uh, ant livestock. Uh, sorghum Sudan, yeah. Yeah. you know, millet, pearl millet, yeah. all these things are, are great, great uh, species to have out there for your cattle. And they love hot, you know, those, those species that uh, Rick just mentioned, are all low water requirements for the plant and they love really hot dry weather perfect you know uh the thing we're seeing right now it's it was 54 degrees this morning where we when i got up you know our warm season things are starting to slow down because we just don't have enough heat but guess what's happening our cool season things are coming out of the ground like gangbusters and are probably going to surpass our warm season grasses and legumes that we put in. 
So that's the nice thing about having two these many species that something is going to survive and work really well. Yeah, and and Andy, I'm not sure what your end game is for termination. If you're still chemicals or not. If you're chemicals, then throw in maybe some Italian ryegrass, yes, yeah. maybe some annual ryegrass. I mean, something that you can come in and then clean up later next spring with some chemistry. Yes. And if you're going to try to roll it, I'd keep those two away. Oh, because, yeah. You know, you could let it get up and go to go to 80, 60 to 80 percent bloom and use some kind of roller to uh, term, help terminate it and uh, probably omit if you're a chemical user probably omit one pass of chemical yeah. yeah now i'll tell you dave there's one species that i am going to start using more and more uh but i always think of it as kind of being frail and that's buckwheat yes i think buckwheat in this scenario so here work, work needs well. to be in there yeah, yeah. five six, six pounds. pounds yeah 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 i agree yeah buckwheat but, yes. yes there's so there's so many options here and you just need to try different things. And, and I would never do the same thing the year you go back to wheat. I would try something different just to see how you could change yeah. the dynamics of how it's going to handle the soil. I mean, you know, we do not like to eat steak three times a day for a month, you know. Right. We like diversity in our menu. And I think the soil also likes diversity yeah, in totally its menu. Right. And yes, Andy, bursine will roll down. Yes, it will. Yes. So it's bursine, it's frosty bursine clover. Yes, it will roll. It puts on a, a big old hollow stem, stem like fixation does. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that comes out of grassland Oregon as well. Right. All right. So you've got us up to what you would do for a corn program. Tell us what you then get set up for your bean program. Well, on our farm, we use, we use cereal rye uh and of course we're we're conventional and it's a little opposite for rick so that, you know there's two of us sitting here so we're going to give you two recommendations sure but you know for a conventional farmer i like to use a 40 to 45 pound of rye and it can go clear into thanksgiving now you're not going to see very much you're not going to control erosion very well at that latest state but it's still there It'll be dark green after the snow melts and really come on like gangbusters. Yeah. And we mix it sometimes, lots of times, with uh, either rape or Ethiopian cabbage. Huh. Uh, Ethiopian cabbage seems to like temperatures clear down into the 20s and stays green and grows, uh, where the rape will slow down. And then since I like balanza so well, I'll put a quarter to a half a pound of balanza clover in that mix just only to have clover growing where the rye and the brassica can't handle the wetness of the soil. Now, if you're on well-drained soils or sandy soils, I would not waste the money with the balanza because you're not going to see it. If you're on tight soils that tend to puddle every now and then or little places, that's when I'd look at the balanza clover because it will be there come spring to help open up roots and areas for that water to get into in the years to pass you know see these are the things folks that we need to uh, what he just gave us there was huge information if you've got low-lying areas that are predominantly uh, waterlogged yeah, that's where you put this balanza clover 
because it Correct. will stay have a better chance of staying there of staying there now if the water's there for a month no yeah. it will not make it but, nothing's got yeah nothing's going to survive that but if it's there for four to six days <laughs> to ten days i've seen it survive the only reason we've we stumbled onto it because we farm a lot of different types of soils and when we put it in there we found out we had areas that had nothing but melanosa clover in it mm -hmm. and you'd walk 20 foot away from that we'd start seeing crimson clover enter into the situation go another three or four foot you'd yeah, see hairy bats moving up the hill moving up the hill and the next thing you saw was a rye <clears throat> but when you got to the top hill you couldn't find the melanosa clover yeah, yeah. but i you know i would i'm not wait i mean I would not just try to pick out the wet holes because you just spend time well, running yeah. around all over. No, no, place. that's not the point. But that's why you put ten things together, right? Because you hope two or three of them work mm -hmm. across the whole field and catch and catch. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So great advice. Great. Okay. So now the thing there that's important here. Now again, it's all about context. Right. Dave said that he likes to add four or five or six things to that cereal rye going ahead of soybeans. But Dave, if it's this, if it's November the tenth, you're just going to be straight cereal rye and probably rape or uh, or Ethiopian cabbage. Still, still, okay, yeah, okay. Because see, it will it will it will sprout. It won't be very tall, but man, will it come on in the spring? The uh, the Ethiopian cabbage cabbage will. Yep. 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 Wow, I'm gonna have to check this one out. Okay, but now. I you got to again. We've got to understand what is the end game for termination. I can no longer use rape because I can't control it in the spring. And I'm telling you, folks, I don't care what cash crop you plant into rape. If you don't have it under control, it's game over. <laughs> yeah, all right. The rape will suck the life out of everything. And that you know that's why we're trying to do a, a tag team here because yeah. you know Rick is familiar with organics and we're not uh but we still try to advise you the right way That's because right. rick's teaching me yeah. what needs to be done so i can be a better manager if somebody calls and asks me yeah you know i'm more a conventional farmer trying to save you money on cover crops and save money on your inputs and remember we have to maintain the biomass for organic no-till farmers that's right we have to that's right it's only it's only defense we've got okay nick moore is from central arkansas what about some grasses that will tolerate the wetter ground like that clover you're talking about do you have a suggestion for that grasses that will tolerate wetter so it seems like annual ryegrass handles it fairly well mm -hmm. uh i i personally dislike annual ryegrass uh, we have a terrible time controlling it because we use it as an avenue that is not the way it should be used, if you understand what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Because we allow our crops to grow big in the spring. So when our annual rye goes to anthesis or head, then it's tough to kill because it's not translocating anything you put on there and a roar will not kill it. Yeah. So. We try to stay away from that, but if we got guys that's using it in pasture, it works really well. Or if you have wet soils and you can use a chemical yeah. with it, it's a great plant. You know. Now in central Arkansas, I'm gonna throw something in here. You're gonna probably get the heat that will crush that annual ripe right grass. grass. That's probably the so. thing. That'll be the thing. Yes. You get heat and it will fold. Correct. 
So maybe that's a good and and I'm telling you in southern Illinois where they have that fragipan that's like six inches thick yep. and it's down about 15 inches down and I mean the world stops on that fragipan annual ryegrass can go through, through it. it they will yes it will definitely yeah. you know I, the the thing that brought me to annual ryegrass was 15 years ago I saw it at a field day uh and I forget who did it but it doesn't matter now and I bought some and brought it home and I put it on a farm that had a hard pan and we dug in the spring and the plant was three inches tall but the roots were 44 inches deep that's crazy you know it's crazy now yeah. we can do the same thing with rye but you'll have to have rye there probably two seasons to, to go that deep if you've yeah. got that kind of a hard pan yeah yeah good you know. qu good question Nick hope that helped uh Andrew's back I was told Balanza needed a specific inoculation is this true or will any clover inoculation work it takes a specific inoculation. yes yeah 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 and that's why most of the time you'll find balanza clover treated it's oh, very very hard to find untreated balanza clover yeah. see that uh jerry there at grassland oregon is, has has determined that it needs a specific inoculant paired with that genetic right. that they've got correct yeah right yeah uh nick moore same here with uh annual ryegrass some is uh roundup ready rup ready is that what he means roundup ready <laughs> annual ryegrass is roundup ready no i don't think so i don't know i'm not sure i don't I'm know sure, i'm not quite sure what you're same here with annual ryegrass some is roundup ready hmm I'm not sure what you're... give a little bit more specific there uh, Walter Lynn, Dave, annual rye example. Was it Junior Upton? Yes, it was yes. Junior. Junior. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was probably yeah. it was probably Junior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So again, it just depends on where you are and uh, resist. Nick more resistance around that. Yeah, it can become if you if you only burn it off and it doesn't translocate to the roots it can become roundup resistant yeah yeah so you want to make sure that you're using the right herbicides at the right time and you know you can't be mixing a whole bunch of other stuff and nitrogen and stuff to kill annual ryegrass yeah annual ryegrass folks is not one of these species you want to start with if you're a beginner no 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 this comes in later when you've got more confidence because this this can be a tough one. Uh, it can be as tough or tougher than rape. I mean, rape oh, is hard to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. So we got to be careful. They're great species, but we got to be careful on how we use them. Yeah. Uh, Luke Coops, uh, can Cyril Rye Balanza rapeseed mix be put into plastic wrapped bales in spring? And can we get the pounds per acre of these in a mix? Uh, he's wanting to know if you can bail this off. As oh, a, yeah, it'd bail. Well, sure. It'd be an yeah. awesome feed. It'd be an awesome feed. The, uh, the rape will, may not dry as quick as the rye does, mm -hmm. but if you're wrapping the bales, it won't make any difference. Right. You know? Right. And can we get the pounds per acre of these in a mix? Oh, do you mean what would what would Dave recommend for pounds of an uh, That's I think that's what he's asking. Oh, okay. So it's rye, balanza, and rape. Right. I guess I would be looking at, uh, since you're going to bale it in the spring, I'd probably be looking at 80 to 100 pound rye. Uh, I would look at a pound of balanza, and I would probably look at uh, a pound of rape, 
you know, because we got small seeds that we're trying to mix with a large seed and we don't have enough large seeds if you get it in an inch deep to get it up yeah. at that situation. Yeah. So then I would probably be planting it a half inch deep. Yeah. And, you know, if you wanted to tweak this a little bit, maybe you add some triticale. Right. Um, and it depends on when you're getting this planted. And, Luke, I'm not sure where you're from, but it depends on when this is going in the ground. But with, with rye, balans, and rape, you're fairly safe, you know, up until October 15th and 20th. Unless you're in uh, Canada, yeah. then we got to come up with a different plan. Right. And, you know, I, and since you're going to make hay out of it, I would drop the rye. I would really drop the rye and put uh, um, oh. triticale. Triticale, because it has more feed value, has more yeah. leaves, yeah. The broader leaves. You're going to go from a rye mix at about 9% protein to a triticale protein of. Uh, 14 yeah. to 12 yeah. depending on where it's at and what stage but i've seen triticale at 20 percent yes no yeah so and see, a little larger window to get it made because it don't grow quite as fast as a rye does yeah yeah and that and this would be a better chance probably for your balloons and rape to shine sure, a little yes, bit correct yeah because that correct. rye can get pretty smothering yes now that that mix you just came up with there that's a pretty cheap mixed dollar per acre correct I mean, we're probably no more than $35. Oh, no. It's probably no, less than, that. yeah. 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 So very, very economical. Right. Right. Um, okay, Gregory, can you explain more on the rapeseed getting out of control? I mean, I'll give you my, my take on it. I don't know. I don't know what it is about the, 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 the rape or canola, but it just simply has a huge leaf it's got a very good tap root system and it just simply crowds everything out what's and, your take on it? It, it, it he's absolutely right uh, and the problem we have with it in conventional fields is not the same problem rick sees because by the time the conventional farmer is going to spray it with his burn down it's in the bloom stage and it's lost 60 to 70 percent of its leaves and there's nothing there for the contact spray to stick to the plant to relocate it now at a pound to the acre it's on a conventional side it's not a problem because by the time the beans or the corn is, is harvestable it's brown and falling on the ground you know our friend Jim Jim Horman, I think, has got. I, I, I don't know if it was no. I don't think it was Jim. It might be uh, Bryce Custer out in Kansas. He's got a chart that will. He broke it down to seeds per, per square, square inch, foot or square, square inch. inch. Yes. Yes. So what do you think? Just ballpark. What do you think a pound of rape translates into? A square foot. Yeah. Five or six plants. No, not even that many. Two or three. I'd say two. Two. Yeah. So that's what he's talking about. Right. To put it into perspective. Right. No, you know, guy, some guys will recommend eight to 10 pounds, but you know, you're looking at uh, 600,000, 500,000 seeds. Oh my gosh. You know, so these are the things you have to consider, you know, uh, it's like we heard this morning that NRCS somewhere, uh, and I don't know whether it was Ohio. I hope it was it in Ohio. Okay. Yeah. Ohio always is, does the stupid things. They're recommending, <laughs> what was it, eight pounds, eight pounds. of Balanza clover. 
for this cost share program, you know. So that's eight, eight million seeds. Yeah, eight million seeds. Do you know how many will be in a square foot? A lot. A lot. <laughs> you know, if you want to get down to that detail, I like to see 28 to 30 seeds in a square foot. And, and, that, and, and this is really how we should be building these cocktails. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I fall victim to this too, because it's so easy. Order, hey, Dave, can you put me together a mix of 20 pounds of this, three pounds of that, four pounds of this, let's go. Yeah. You know, if you really want to get down to the economics of it, and sometimes too much is not a good thing. thing. Correct, correct. So correct. we can overcrowd this. Yes, yes. So, you know, you put a frail plant like a buckwheat into an 8 million seed environment. He's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. Right. Right. So we got to remember, and I, I, again, I fall victim to this, and I've really got to work on also these cocktails being in that 20 to 40 range of carbon to nitrogen ratio. But this is hard. I mean, if we were down in Arkansas, where the couple of folks online here are with us are, it's a different ball game. Right. Time, time is your friend. Yeah, down there, time's a friend. Right. Here, we've got to scramble. So let's go. Let's go there. The next question then is, Dave. Okay, how do you make this happen in a timely fashion? What are you doing with your relative maturities of your cash crops? Well, we've moved our maturities up. Uh, we were, you know. Our neighbors are 110 to 120 day corn. Yeah. Uh, most of them are three eighths to four one beans. Mm -hmm. uh, we're right now setting on two eighths and threes and some three twos. And we're mo mostly around 100 day. We found a few varieties at a 90 day corn that's hanging right in there with long season corn. Mm -hmm. You know, and to me, it we have to look at the whole program of sorting up the maturity. It's not all about whether uh, a 90 day corn made 200 versus a 115 day corn making 200. If it made 180 or 178 and it was 15% moisture when you shelled it to September 15th, yeah. that would equal the 200 bushel corn. In the cost. In the cost, because mm -hmm. you haven't got the dryer cost, you haven't got the transportation cost, and you can't go to this filling station and brag, but you know, you got yeah. more money left. You know? Well, and the big thing here is you've opened up the window to make next year's crop successful. Correct. Correct. And you cannot believe what 10 days or seven days means oh, on a yeah. cover crop planted in the fall. Yeah. And don't expect a corn bean rotation cover crop to ever equal of wheat cover crop, uh, cover crop after wheat, yeah. because we just have 45 to 60 more days of growth. You know, that's the problem with doing it in corn and beans. We have a two week window to get it up before it freezes. Yeah. And then we have about a month window in the spring to make it grow. That's right. And we can't get the root density that we need. I mean, it may be six or eight or 10 inches deep, but it don't have the weight of the biomass on the surface. Right. You know. Right. And I'd like to see, personally, I like to see the same biomass in the root zone as I see on top. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, okay, so now let's 
let's talk about your your methods of application are you using an airplane or are you using a high a high rig to go through standing corn how are you how are you getting some of these things accomplished all the above all the above <laughs> if it's really whack and we can't get in the field you know if you're delaying harvest and it's wet and it's raining find an airplane mm -hmm. it's going to grow mm -hmm. because the corn's already turning brown the beans leaves are falling off get it out there you know if it's a normal fall where we can shell corn or cut beans you know there's two of us in this operation we're a thousand acres which is not big but you know it still takes a lot of time mm -hmm. so what we do is we we park wagons at the infield we don't run a bunch of grain carts over it i don't you know that's up to you guys whatever you want to do just trying but to keep the compaction down. down and you know while we're cutting beans that guy's sitting in a tractor waiting for the wagon to get full so we bring the drill the same time we bring the combine so he actually has probably 30 minutes or 40 minutes and he can make three or four passes with that drill drill 10 acres while you're filling the wagon while we're filling the wagons and, and you know we're lucky enough we have seven 900 bushel wagons so he don't have to move for a while mm -hmm. you know uh not everybody has that but you know you have to work with what you got yeah and you know i'm not opposed to grain wagons or anything but i'm just saying you know there's things you can do to manage your time so that you're successful about getting your cover crop in if it's uh, Thanksgiving Day and we still got 300 acres of rye to plant, it's done that day. Yeah. We just put it in a fertilizer spreader, and grandson likes to drive fast because you can really go. You know, instead of three mile an hour, he's probably running seven or eight. Yeah, if three's good, then eight's got to be better, better right? right yeah. For him, you yeah. know. <laughs> and then if it's dry enough and froze, get the crop roller out, mash the residue down on top of the rye. And you got it going just as good as using the drill mm -hmm. and it's fast right now we use more seeds because we're broadcasters on the surface we know that a third of it's not going to come yeah you've got to raise your rates you got to raise your rates you sure do you know it's no different than planting you need to plant early you can lower the rates you know when it comes november 1st we up the rate 10 percent yeah yeah we did the same thing two or three years ago We've got a 70-foot air boom. We went out and blew on 150 pounds on, on 1,500 acres. Yes, sir. And it all grew and it vernalized. And this was in this was after Christmas we did this. And it vernalized and it was just fine the next spring. Yeah. And, you know, if you really want to have fun and make your neighbors talk, we're working with Ohio State University at a branch in Lima. And we started their regenerative movement two years ago. And the first thing we did, because it had been farmed to death and it wouldn't grow an umbrella, we took three of the fields and went out there in January. There was a quarter to a half inch of snow. The guy has a 750 John Deere drill. We planted peas and oats this is in the snow. And we started at 9 o'clock. There was no traffic. At 10.30, there was 37 pickup trucks, guys pointing and taking pictures. You know, that's yeah. the true definition of frost seeding. Yes, right sir. There. Yeah. And it, it was surprising. And it it worked. worked really well. It worked. And we were able to cut 50 pounds of nitrogen from that year's corn crop mm -hmm. and maintain the same yield as where we put 212 units of nitrogen on. Mm -hmm. So you can do a lot of things and you got to be able to have a thick skin because uh, you're changing the mentality of your neighbors. Yeah, yeah. You're now testing 
what I say is a is a is a part of the formula for success is are you socially accepted within your community? <laughs> yeah. So correct. Uh, it becomes difficult at times. Yes. That's for sure. So now, okay. So let's now talk about um, this legume package that we you've planted. It's going to survive the winter and come out next spring. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be patient on this. You've you're not going to plant corn on April 25th. No, you're not. Not into this system. No, not in the system. Right. So, you know, let's say it's May 20th now. You've probably got enough growth. Yes. Enough nitrogen has been fixed. And you're now going to go out with probably a reduced rate of chemistry. Or you may you may roll to terminate this. Right. If it's, a, you know, if 40% if or 50% of it's in bloom, we're going to roll it. Okay, are you rolling first and then planting? No, we, or we plant first. Always plant first. Right, right. Look, we did that because when you roll something down and you're using a marker, I mean, we you have to realize, guys, we're talking about uh, 21 landlords less than five acres. Yeah. So, you know, guidance don't work very well with trees all the way around it. But, you know, uh, someday I'll get to one of those fields that's got 100 acres that we can really make it shine, you know. But... You know, if you go out in, in there and roll it down, you can't see where that marker moved that residue. Yeah. Where if you don't disturb it, you can let the marker down. Yeah. And you can actually follow it. You don't have to cut the soil. It just parts whatever's there, you know. Yeah. And and, and we got to You've got to understand what Dave's talking about here by waiting this long. If, for example, if you walked into this field, you could not take your normal strides and walk across this field. You have to high step it yes. because the hairy vetch and the clover will trip you up and drag you to the ground. That's right. And, you know, the reason we do that, we want the soil warm. I like to see it at 60 degrees. Mm -hmm. We plant it about an inch and a half to an inch and three quarters because we probably got an inch and a half of residue on the surface. You know, and there's an argument there. I don't care where you plant it, it'll come up. Mm -hmm. But I like an inch and a half because in three days, you will see a row of corn coming and it will catch corn that was planted 30 days before that. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. really will. Now, if you go, let's go back to the, the scenario now where an individual listening is in a, is in a reduction mode. They want to reduce inputs and they go out and they chemically terminate this this cocktail that you've you planted the fall before you are going to see an immediate yes response to that corn crop you're at sure will. immediate immediately right because you re, you you've actually shut that plant down and it's actually starting to to go through decomposition and it's releasing all the nutrients in a real flush mode compared to a, a mode where you roll it down uh, I always thought, you know, when I first bought the crop roller, I thought, man, you know, I can roll it down in two hours. It's going to be dead. No. Yeah. And, you know, about 30 days later, it's finally brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, and you wonder for those 30 days, did I get it killed? Right. But the good news here is if you can get your corn to survive that first 30 days and take off, the good news is now you've got a spoon feeding yes. that's going to happen every for time, the next 65 or 70 days. days. And every time you have a dewy morning or a slight rainfall event, yeah. you're going to get nutrients released from that cover crop to help feed those new plants. And it will look bad, guys. Yeah. I mean... It's not going to be this nice green row of corn in brown soil. 
That's what I have problems with when guys first start. It don't look good, David. I don't like it. Yeah. I tell guys to plan it. If you're going to spray it, spray it, and then go on vacation for three weeks. Yeah. And then come back. It looks really good. The proof to me is in the tank. You at know, the end of the season. At the end of the season. Yeah. You know, it's not about winning that first lap of the race. It's winning the last lap. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, we got. Do we have any other questions? Because we're probably. I mean, Dave's been traveling all week. We're tired. <laughs> um, if you got a question, please get it to the screen now. Um, uh, what else do we need to talk about? I, you know, what I'd like I'd like to talk a little bit about right now is the is the tour you took me on today. This is a tremendous community that you live in. Talk yes. a little bit about some of the heritage that we saw today. Well, you know, uh, the, the Erie, Ohio Erie Canal went through part of our county. Uh, uh, we still have the locks here. Uh, there's a lot of parks that I showed Rick. Uh, we happened to have a grist mill that was put on a uh, live spring that spring fed uh, from about six miles above where the grist mill sets. It happens to have the largest oak paddle wheel that runs the grist mill and uh, the largest has, in the United States. Yes. And uh, we've restored that uh, and it's open on the weekends for people to see. And the interesting thing was in uh, 19 or in, two, in 1902, my grandfather built the last wheel that went on that before that closed. Oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, I showed Rick that and so Rick some of our covered bridges, which is not anything great. But my great grandfather was known Blue Jeans Brandt, and he built all but three of the covered bridges in Fairfield County. That's crazy. You know, so there's a lot of history in Fairfield County. Uh, we got a lot of hills and just a lot of things to see. And yeah. I, I love to show that to people besides what we're doing to restore yeah. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to get get all uh, teary eyed here, but but we, we made a special trip to to a special location today, yes. too. Uh, yeah. And I got to see what Sandra gets to see every day. Yes, yes, yes. She's she she's resting on a hilltop and you can look. It's a beautiful sight. You can look right out over the landscape and you can see Dave's farm in the background. And we're about four miles away. Yeah. It was yeah. awesome. It was awesome. Great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let's see what we've got here. Uh, Luke, uh, we are shopping for a deep ripper to break up deep compaction issues, unless there is a quick fix alternative with cover cropping. Luke, Luke, let me, let, let me tell you what, I can do more with roots than you can do with iron. And I have to tell you this little story. I was at a field day probably 10 or 11 years ago, and a man from California, from Canada was, was selling a deep ripper there beside me, and I had this soil spit. And he was about 30 years old, and I pointed my finger at him, and I said, boy, I can do more with these roots than you can do with that big, expensive. It had 36-inch disc blades on it. Oh, my gosh. And shanks 20, 37 inches long, you know. Now that young man in in Canada no-tills and is doing a great job, and he just put livestock on his covered crop. Who's that? Uh, that was um, Blake Pence. Blake, yeah, you know, yeah. great fellow. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, try reddishes. Always make sure you put a legume with the reddish. 
so that we can take the nitrogen from the atmosphere, make those winter peas, put nitrogen nodules on. You can do them five inches apart. You can do them 20 inches apart. You can do them 15 inches apart. The hair roots from the reddish will grow over and touch the legumes from the nodules from the peas. They'll get bigger, they'll go deeper. And most generally the tubers will be from 16 to 24 inches deep. And the taproot will be another 30 inches deep. If they come out of the ground, some of them I've seen 18 inches out of the ground because they hit a compacted layer at nine inches. They have to come out of the ground to get enough weight to push that taproot through that hard pan. Yeah. So don't get excited if they come out of the ground. And then depending again on Luke on your termination method, but I would think about annual ryegrass also. Yeah, annual ryegrass would work great. Tremendous at drilling through concrete pretty much. Yes. Uh, Kenton, uh, what cover crop mix would you recommend in front of sugar beets following sorghum Sudan sun hemp mix for hay after wheat? Sugar beets. Again, a, a large nitrogen user. You know, I, I'd, I'd still look at the grasses and uh, nitrogen fixing plants, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, and make sure that you can terminate the stuff well enough that that small sugar beet's going to get up. Right. And, you know, guys, we use sugar beets in our cover crop. Not very many. Mm -hmm. But if we really got a hard pan, sugar beets will help. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got a lot of thank yous for everything we're doing. Uh, Andrew Moore, how do you terminate the Ethiopian cabbage? Normally, in our case, uh, a little bit of a 2,4-D product mm -hmm. takes it right out. Can we mechanically terminate it? Yes, it will break off. It will. Yes. I've got to get this into the into the mix. Yeah, it'll work good for you. Yeah. All right, I'll, maybe I'll take a couple bags on with me. <laughs> uh, what, what's your rate on the cabbage? If you're pound. A pound. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Little seeds, pounds will be enough. All right. Well, man, this has been, Dave, this is, uh, this has been an honor. Thank, thanks for letting me come in and, and do this you. side by side. Um, this, this guy's the man, he is the man and man, I hope everyone took good notes. If you didn't, Rachel has got this recorded and this is all going to be played back. I'm sure this is going to be one of our top broad, uh, broadcasts we do. Uh, Dave, we learned so much tonight. This yes. is what I wanted to do. We went through the practicality part right. of this. And, you know, anybody that has a problem, you can look up Dave Brand or Walnut Creek Seeds. Uh, if you have a problem, even though you didn't buy the seed, call us. We'll try to help you. Yeah. You know, I, I want you to succeed better than I have. That's, and that's I think with, with uh, my half a brain and yours put together, we can make things happen that will really let you enjoy your farming life and change the way that we will supply nutrients to our animals and to our human health. Yeah, we didn't talk about human health, but that it's so critical here. That we can't have human health without soil health. Correct. So that's correct. We can talk about that. I'm sure you'll another be on, time. You'll be on again. Yes, sir. All right, we're going to let it go there, folks. Thanks for joining in tonight. This has been a, a blast. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Everyone, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.